Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF, and you can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. Um, and just by the way, if you hear some noises in the background, we've got a coffee shop full of children today, so <laughs> just they're cute, so picture that. We can call them very small friends of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, with me today is Jason Gottesman of the PLS Reporter and various other publications at various times. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming down, Jason. A Pennsylvania wide man of mystery, perhaps, with my byline. <laughs> That's his uh, unofficial title. <laughs> um, so, we've got, uh, you know, we're in a weird spot right now because this week wasn't uh, actually a, a session week. Not a lot happened in Harrisburg, but... They're back next week for the first time in like a month. Yeah, it's uh, it feels kind of odd to have the legislature gone for this long, um, especially in a year where we've had one of the uh, another kind of crazy budget impasse, and then um, where the legislature was like only out for maybe like you know a week or so at a time. So having kind of a, a month long, month plus sort of break from session uh was was kind of strange but um yeah they're back and you know as per usual they have a busy agenda but i think this year it kind of appears that the agenda is not going to be so much taken up by budgetary and fiscal issues at least from what we're hearing yeah. in advance of the governor's budget address but sort of these overarching policy and uh priorities that various people have had including their you know republican majority caucuses in both chambers of the, or both houses of the general assembly as well as the governor's office so you know, there's a tie-in to to you know the 2018 elections, where you know this is where they want to kind of move from the muck and mire of the state's fiscal issues to more policy-based issues that um, you know they can campaign on and talk about and, and have um, you know a record of doing things other than just really tough budget votes. So yeah, so we've got lots going on, but I do want to just back it up real quick and talk about a couple of important things that did happen this week. Um, so we had. Uh, a hearing, a state Supreme Court hearing yes. on a gerrymandering case. Now, this case has been kind of a long time in the works, but now they're really they're fast-tracking it. So uh, what's yeah. the situation with that? Situation? Well, okay, so um, just in uh, at the 5,000-foot level, yeah. um, Pennsylvania's uh, congressional districts, um, the map that was approved by the legislature uh, along bipartisan grounds and approved by then-Governor Tom Corbett um, has been labeled... Um, you know, kind of almost like hot takey as the most gerrymandered congressional map in the country. Now, it, um, it's up there for sure. Yeah, I mean, some people call it that way. I mean, and, you know, you can look at some of the districts, and I think even when you go back at some of the procedural history with um, Judge Robson at the Commonwealth Court level in his initial review of the districts where he found that they weren't un- they weren't unconstitutionally drawn, he did say that the, the maps really don't help themselves in their appearance. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the whole, the crux of this argument is that um, how much partisanship is allowed to be involved right. in uh, drawing of congressional maps. And now I'll say, so Brobson, his, you know, is his court opinion on this exact right. case was that it is legal, but they are partisan. Pretty much the same exact ruling came out from the federal court in Philadelphia. Right. They were looking at these same maps, same question, really. And they said, yeah, they're partisan maps, but, you know, that we can't say that that's not okay. Right, and it's a partisan process, yes. and partisanship, I mean, even if you go back, and, and one of the things that Judge Robson did um, throughout his, his opinion at the Commonwealth Court level 
is, or his recommendations at the Commonwealth Court level, is to go back and, and look at U.S. Supreme Court precedent that has looked at redistricting and gerrymandering cases. When and the U.S. Supreme Court has said on various occasions that you know partisanship and thing, things like partisanship, incumbency protections. And stuff like that are valid considerations in drawing of congressional maps. Now, the plaintiffs, in this case, uh, the League of Women Voters, on behalf of 18, I think, uh, plaintiffs from the Democratic Party, have said that it's different in this case because Pennsylvania's maps are so gerrymandered that um, Democrats are having their constitutional right of, uh, you know, representation representation violated. Now, there's a question as to whether that has been a right at all. Um, it's conceded that partisanship has played a role in the drawing of these maps. And the line really is, one, is there a way to determine how much partisanship is too much partisanship? Right. And if so, is this evident here? Um, yeah. And that's the question that the state Supreme Court's going to be re- grappling with. Now, now, implications of that decision are going to be, you know, if they declare that the maps are constitutional, which they could. This is a Democratic court by a long shot. Right. So, you know, you know, they could have a different take than the other courts. But... Uh, if they decide that the maps aren't constitutional, if they do so within 12 days of, like, yesterday, Wednesday, Wednesday 12 days yep. of Wednesday, um, then the legislature can redraw the maps before the next election. Right. So I believe that the plaintiffs in their in their brief asked the court and said to give the legislature two weeks yeah. to draw new maps. And if they can't do that, then the court should appoint a special master and draw the maps themselves, which basically amounts to, the, to them picking one of the maps probably from the several hundred congressional maps that were offered as exhibits as part of the plaintiff's case right. that would represent Pennsylvania basically on a non on a, a congressional map drawn without partisan consideration. Right. Um, and now, so, but it's a question of whether this court's going to be able to rule within 12 days. And if they right. don't, I, I believe if they don't do it, you can't change the maps in that time, right? Well, there was a talk about you can push the primary back to July. You right, can push the primary right. back even as late as August or September. But but that's if they rule the maps unconstitutional. Right. They may they, say they're fine. And there, there was, my, you know, my understanding of the oral arguments is that there was a, a definite split even among the Democratic heavy Supreme Court over whether there is a judicially manageable standard to begin with yeah. and whether this is something that there's too much partisanship. So um, who knows how the court's going to come out on this. And I think, interestingly enough, there has been, you know, there's ongoing cases from other states, both at the state and federal level, mm-hmm. that have been moving through. And, and just also this week, the U.S. Supreme Court granted a stay in the redrawing of North Carolina's congressional maps, right. which were found by a federal court to be unconstitutionally uh, drawn. And meaning that they don't have to draw them in advance of a U.S. Supreme Court opinion on this same issue. So, you know, I know, I believe Drew Crompton, who's the uh, Senate Republican Caucus chief counsel, who is a, the, you know, the, the, the Senate Republican leadership along with House Republican leadership and uh, the governor's office are defendants in this case. And he said that if, if the maps are found to be unconstitutional, they will be seeking a stay. Uh, from the U.S. Supreme Court or from some pertinent other uh, court that has jurisdiction over it um, while they exhaust other appeals. So, Right. So um, basically, if this does happen and the maps are declared unconstitutional, it's just going to be a big old legal mess for everybody. Yeah. But it's going to be a very interesting one for us. So yeah. <laughs> stay tuned for that, um, and we will know relatively soon what they do rule because it, it, the case is – as I understand it, they do intend to rule pretty quickly on that. Yes. I, I mean, this being a Friday, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if we see a, an opinion dumped this afternoon. Nah. I, I'm not, like, guessing that, <laughs> but I, it's not beyond the Supreme Court to uh, realize that there's a Friday afternoon 
thing, and they're trying to get things out before the end of the week. So who knows? <sighs> well, I hope they don't do that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> all right. And so now we also mentioned uh, that this week we saw some legislative retirements. Uh, yes. Significant ones. So want to want to explain y- that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so this week, uh, Representative Bob Gotch, actually on Thursday, Representative Bob Gottschall. Yesterday. uh, Yes, yesterday, a Republican from Montgomery County. And Representative Ron Marsico, a Republican from Dolphin County, uh, announced their retirements. And that's significant because along with Representative John Taylor, who's a Republican from Philadelphia, who announced earlier in 2017 that he was not going to be seeking re-election, now the three most senior members of the House Republican Caucus have said they are not going to be seeking re-election. Now, that's significant in a couple of respects. One, that doesn't mean, like, they're necessarily combined for like speaker or house majority leader but seniority does give people preferential treatment in terms of committee chairmanships they get first crack at the ones that they want that gives them a Um, lot of influence usually yeah and they sort of you know you have that institutional knowledge so i think you have one rep uh i forget which one it is has been in since 1982 one since 1984 and the other since 1988 and so you're left now with the three most senior people assuming that they're going to be in that caucus assuming that they are going to be standing and then winning re-election as Matt Baker, a Republican out of Tioga County, Stan Saylor, who's the House Appropriations Committee Majority Chairman, um, and... I don't know who else it would be. It's also a Republican from Montgomery County. I want to say it might be Kate Harper, but I'm not entirely sure about okay. that. Okay, we'll, we'll fact check that, yeah. <laughs> and if it's not correct, we'll go in and insert uh, Jason was wrong. Yeah, um, that's fine. <laughs> All right. So probably Kate Harper. And then we also have a situation where House Speaker Mike Terza is running for governor. Yes. House Majority Leader Dave Reed has indicated he's very interested in running for Congress. So, I mean, that's (laughs) if that all happens. The times they are changing. For sure. And it it hasn't been, I think, lost on Republicans. One, you know, we saw a lot of this in the 2015-2016 budget impasse where people just kind of got fatigued and they were like, tired of the partisanship and they had better you know they felt like they had better things to do elsewhere and so there's a wave of retirements but also you know there's all this talk about an anti-trump democratic wave coming and you know a lot of these guys i think get used to not running um against people and there's going to be some significant contests against democrats in some of these districts and i feel like you know they're just kind of like you know what we've been here for so long um let's you know Head out now. Pack so, it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one last thing that we did see this week, and then we'll get into what lies ahead. Uh, Governor Wolf um, passed a, was a resolution? or well, he, I guess he more announced that he was directing the Department of Labor and Industry yes. to... so it didn't really pass anything, but right. he made an order. Um, Department of Labor and Industry is changing how it gives overtime to workers now. Right. So It's a complicated thing. They are going to be reworking regulations that have not been... that 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 detail how employers are supposed to be calculating overtime, essentially changing the income threshold by which um, you determine whether somebody can be exempt from overtime pay. Right. So currently right now, I think the exemption sits at like $24,000 a year. And if you make more than that, then you do not have to be paid overtime, regardless of how many hours you work, whether you're hourly or not. If you're, as long as you're full-time and you make more than that a year, you are exempt from overtime. And the governor said, you know, that that does not keep up with uh, the, 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 you know, where people are making money today. You know, I think they said it will, you know, cause like something like 500,000, you know, people to see a boost in their pay. Right. Um, it's not fair for workers to, you know, or for employers 
to be treating employees like this merely because the regulations haven't kept up with inflation and things like that. So they're, over the four-year period starting, I think, in 2019, they're going to be increasing those thresholds to something where it's like going to be like $45,000. Now, this has drawn some backlash not only from Republicans who have said, you know, this is the governor working in a unilateral way without consulting anybody in the legislature to work on core issues like minimum wage increases or how to address job creation or, you know, right. uh, wage issues. Now, to their point, or I guess to a more general point, that's what they say no matter what he does. He, yeah, he could do anything, fair. and they would say he's working unilaterally. And also there's not a great record of actual – you know, substantive things coming out of collaborations between the governor and this legislature. Also, also fair, but you also have employers who are saying, you know, the federal Department of Labor is expected to come out with revised thresholds later this year, and this is a bit premature on behalf yeah. of the Wolf administration to, at this point, come out with their own things when the Department of Labor at the federal level might be changing it as well. So instead yeah. of waiting to see if they can make things jive in some way, um, you know, he's kind of just, just going. But these regulations are not due out, I think, until at least March. So there's some time to wait and see. Yes. Too. And I will say, though, and you can't, you know, separate this move from, you know, the political realities that Wolf is facing currently. He's running for re-election. Sure. He's also running for re-election under, you know, an atmosphere in which he's been repeatedly unsuccessful at raising the minimum wage in Pennsylvania. And so this is right. sort of a way to kind of do something along those lines. Um, I, I definitely would think that, you know, it's safe to say it's a related goal of his. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd say that there – I mean, and this is something that the governor has done where sort of – even in the – we saw it in the budget yeah. where when the legislature doesn't act, the governor is, is, you know, inclined to step in and change what he can change um, as he can change it. And this was also – I think it should be mentioned something that was tried in the Obama administration. Yes. And then got tied up in federal litigation um, – over, you know, the, the legality of, of that. And, you know, you have, like, the PA Chamber and small business uh, advocacy groups screaming from the top of their lungs about how this will cost, increase the cost of, of doing business in Pennsylvania, make Pencil less, attra- less attractive to new businesses or businesses trying to stay in Pennsylvania. And, you know, all this has a tie-in with sort of, like, the Amazon stuff, which I'm sure we might yeah, talk we'll about get, briefly. But, yeah. you, know, there's, there, there's, you know, there's some significant concerns. Uh, from the business end and the Republican end, but, you know, also some significant concerns from the governor's side and, you know, the, the Democratic end that they're trying to address in the absence of other ways in which to help workers, like increasing the minimum wage and, you know, providing, you know, better pension, uh, you know, stuff for private sector workers who might not be necessarily covered and, and things like that. So. And we should note at this point, too, um, when we talk about the minimum wage, Pennsylvania has the lowest minimum wage of any of its neighbors yeah, in like most the of the, region, yeah. Yeah, the northern east coast states all have yeah. higher minimum wages. So we are an outlier in that area. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the Amazon deal. Uh, that is significant. I think we were the only state that had two potential cities or one of a, a us, couple. Us in Texas. Us in Texas. And I think people get confused because, you know, people forget Austin is in Texas because <laughs> it's not a very Texan city. Right. But. <laughs> Austin is in Texas. Yes. So uh, Pennsylvania has two cities that are up for this Amazon um, HQ2, right. their second headquarters, yep. which is a huge economic deal for a lot of states, for any state. Yeah. And so um, we've got Pittsburgh and Philadelphia in the mix. Um, you know, any details, any things that you've been hearing about these things? I mean, you know, it's been actually that's that is an interesting question in yeah. and of itself because both Philadelphia and, um, and Pittsburgh have been sort of quiet about the exact package that yeah. they've offered to yeah. Amazon, and the state has also had to pony up 
or has ponied up some level of um, tax incentive as well for Amazon to come here, and that has not been subject to public access as well. So um, in terms of what the actual package is and how that compares to other cities, um, I don't know. But, you know, the fact that Pennsylvania has two two cities has making everybody very excited because yeah. it ups the Commonwealth's chances of having this thing that's going to bring 50,000 50, jobs. And Amazon says most of those jobs are going to be six-figure-plus jobs. Um, and that's just a huge economic boom. I, did, I have heard that, you know, in, in reading other news stories that – it seems like Boston might be the front runner because I know they, they said Amazon has purchased some like huge amount of land uh, just like outside of Boston, but um, you know that could be for something else or Amazon kind of doing a head fake and like yeah, you know, and Boston I mean, is kind of known as like a techie city these days. Yeah, so. but you know Amazon does have a couple hundred million to throw around on some fake stuff to <laughs> make people think that they're going somewhere else too. So um, <laughs> Amazon says jump every state in the country jumps. Yeah, even um, I heard somebody today that they got Alexa to ask like you know some city like where should amazon's headquarters be and they were hoping it would say like their city but it said their city in another city oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so yeah i mean there's just crazy crazy things like so that people did yeah. but so you that's know, something to be watching though. yeah and it could be a huge thing for pennsylvania i mean who knows um you know that's i mean that would be a huge huge thing i mean everybody talks about how big the Shell Cracker, ethane Cracker plant facility will be out in Beaver County when that gets built. But this, I mean, is bigger than this that by massive. leaps and bounds. And it's um, also, I mean, it symbolizes Pennsylvania, as many people know. At, you know, people always like, I think national reporters often come out into Pennsylvania to find real Americans. Yeah. And, but we are. We're a state that had a lot of coal industry that has just been depressed for many years because yep. that's going away. And so this, I think, would represent, you know, a real turnaround for the Pennsylvania economy if, in fact, Amazon comes here. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, sometimes these economic turnarounds happen, you know, as that sort of generation that was reliant on, you know, like coal jobs, um, you know, transitions out and people realize, okay, those jobs aren't here and they become They're better trained back, yeah. in, other, in other jobs and, and stuff. And, you know, I mean, the United States has a very large service-based economy. So, um, you know, I mean, the fact that a company has – the idea that they're going to have 50,000 jobs, all of which are going to pay, most of which are going to pay more than six figures. I mean, that, and you know, just coming out of one of the worst economic times in this nation's history, that just has to like boggle your mind. I mean, you know, you like kind of look at, you know, like these, uh, these, these, uh, like movies where like you have corporate dominance, uh, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's just like, Wow, and then you hear the story about Apple, who's coming to the United States yep. back and bringing back all this investment and stuff. But that's that's beyond the point. Um, we could, anyway, if we want to do some like Whale and Yutani alien movie breakdown, I'm more <laughs> we'll than happy to do that on, a, on another podcast. But <laughs> we'll set aside a day for that. Yeah, um, I, I keep thinking of other stuff that happened this week. We will get to what's happening in the future, but we also had Donald Trump come here. Um, yeah, that was significant, and he came here specifically for one uh, Pennsylvania's Rick Sacone, who's running for Congress. Yeah. Well, it, I think that that actually is a matter of some debate because it, they were they were going to they were saying he was here to tout tax for the tax reform right. bill, but it was also at a Rick Sacone like campaign stop too. And this is so Rick Sacone yeah. is running for a congressional district that's going to be really vital for Republicans to win in Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's going to be a special election for uh, Tim Murphy's seat, and he right. was the congressman who was forced to resign after uh, you know text messages and things were released showing that he had uh, encouraged a mistress to get an abortion. He's a very anti-abortion yeah. man. Uh, politically, so you know that's he had to step down. 
Um, so now Rick Sacone is looking for that seat, and it might be a tough race. Yeah, he is up against uh, Connor Lamb, who is, whose grandfather, I believe, was a former Senate majority leader, a minority leader. Yeah. His uncle is the current control. Um, not controller. He's one of the row officers out in the city of Pittsburgh, uh, Michael Lamb. So he comes from a long, um, long history of, um, you know, being in, in Democratic politics. And he's a veteran. Um, he's young. Um, he's, you know, good looking. He's got like sort of like all of the credentials that you would want a Democratic candidate in Western Pennsylvania to have up against Rick Saccone, who is, you know, perennially one of the, the legislature's most conservative members, uh, former career Air Force, worked uh, in you know Abu Ghraib prison as a, as an, an investigator. Um, he was at one point the only American. He was the only American in North Korea when the 9/11 attacks <laughs> happened. Um, I don't I don't know the significance of, of that. He, he's people told that story always, to me a couple yeah, times. People but, always have conspiracy theories about Rick Sacone's yeah. role in North Korea. Um, he's very um, famous for yelling under God during the Pledge of Allegiance. We mentioned that on yeah. last week's podcast. <laughs> um, I love that he does. That. And um, he he probably has one of the best mustaches in the general assembly as well so. one of the only ones yeah mustaches not, are rare these days yes they are so i mean but he i mean he is you know a very outspoken trump supporter yes but um, i think he's somebody to the point like he's somebody that they're concerned he may not be able to beat uh connor lamb might not be able to beat him and that's a real concern this district is you know it's gone back and forth um, right. murphy had held it for a long time it was redistricted and became a little bit more republican um during his tenure i believe but, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, it's been Democratic before. Yeah, and I think everybody's waiting for that spark of this Democratic wave to begin. Yeah. And, you know, uh, whether it's going to be a real thing or just a rumored thing. And I don't know if you've necessarily seen that. Like, I'll see, like, random one-off tweets about, like, oh, this random state Senate seat over in the Midwest that was Republican for a long time just flipped Democratic. But, yeah. you know, you don't necessarily know all the – the stuff behind that. Right. And these, everybody's trying to make a race a bellwether race. And whether, you know, this turns into that or not, I think right now all the forecasters are expecting Rick Saccone. I think he has an advantage. I mean, for it's sure. gone Republican for such a long time. Um, but, you know, it's it's not going to be, you know, the steal that everybody thinks it, it should be. I mean, you're taking over this, you're having a special election for a seat that was given up in controversy so that then reflects poorly on, on the incoming republican candidate plus you have a, a local name and um you know a guy that's been that's uh you know actually supported in person by you know one of the most you know polarizing political figure of this nation's history yeah. so um who, who i mean who knows i mean we'll it'll be a fun race when yeah. is that uh, march I think it's in March, yeah. yeah that, and it's, I mean, I think the indication of how important that is is that we are still weeks away from when this is happening. And you already have the president involved, national money involved, you know, trackers watching video after video of these guys trying yeah. to find it. You know, so it's, it's a big thing right now. All right. So we uh, spent so much time. More has happened this week than I thought. Um, <laughs> but we have some things coming up. I just can't stop talking. That's no, the problem. it's okay. It's a good thing. Um, uh, we have some stuff coming down the pike when the legislature does get back finally. Um, tax reform was talked about this week. Yeah, so tax reform is, is, a, is an issue that I, I, in, in 
in my reporting, I think, has gained some momentum, especially in the House, as people are trying to modernize and look at the state's tax structure. Yeah. Earlier and I guess in the I, year, we shouldn't say the word reform because that always makes it sound like a little bit partisan, but tax changes. Yeah, and I think actually one of the, one of the things to show that this has bipartisan support yeah. is that there is, there is a, a resolution to form a special committee to look at the way, ways to update and modernize Pennsylvania's tax structure. And that resolution was sponsored by Representative Jake Wheatley, who's a Democrat from Allegheny right. County. So there's a committee looking at that and is supposed to make recommendations to the General Assembly by the end of this session, which is November 30th, 2018. Um, they might make recommendations before that. Who knows? Um, you have legislation being introduced this week to eliminate the inheritance tax. You have other legislation introduced uh, in prior weeks to lower the personal income tax. You have things dealing with corporate taxes. The House Appropriations Committee held a hearing this week looking at ways in which Pennsylvania's tax structure can be modernized to help grow businesses and you know make Pennsylvania more business-friendly. Um, so that all, all that stuff is happening uh, all at the same time. So you're having this tax reform structure also going on as part of the Democratic's agenda to have this you know fair share tax, um, which would lower the PIT but increase wealth-based taxes. Um, and they say that'll inc- that'll get like two billion dollars in more revenue, while also saving like you know most Pennsylvanians money. So you have that going on. Plus to talk about. Uh, shell tax and oh, corporate net income tax. taxes, and then you know property tax elimination is also something that is perennially out there. And I got to imagine in an election year, it's going to get some sort of conversation here in the next few months, whether that's real or not. Yeah, um, pensions as well are um, on the agenda. Yeah, not the pensions you might be thinking of. That's municipal pension reform right. that will be talked about. And this has been something that um, I was going back preparing for next week, just looking over stories that I've written on it has been talked about in a real way ever since 2014. Yeah. Um, And basically what's going on is that Pennsylvania's municipalities actually have, their pension systems are a lot worse than the state's is. Oh, yeah. They are in bad shape, and that is, a lot of people throw that at the feet of um, the uniform pensions, meaning police and firefighter pensions, which are subject to collective bargaining. And, you know, these municipalities feel as though they're helpless to kind of say no to their uniform services for a variety of reasons, which you can all imagine. And so it's turned out that they are not able to, to fund them to the amount that is necessary. And so they're all there's so many of them that are underwater there. At the end of last session, there was a proposal that was sort of crafted mostly by Senator John Eichelberger, who was at that time chairman of the local government committee. He's no longer chairman of that committee. It's now Senator Scott Wagner. But he's been working on it along with Representative Seth Grove in the House and Representative Keith Greiner in the House. Um, And on a bipartisan level, Senator John Blake and Senator Art Haywood have also been involved in this issue as well. And one of the big things that you might see coming out of there's a hearing on Monday is one, you know, I should actually mention the governor held created a task force on this that was chaired by Auditor General Eugene De Pasquale that issued a litany of recommendations for how to reform uh, municipal pensions. So I know um, if your eyes haven't glazed over yet, I'm just going to wrap this up really (laughs) quickly. But they're trying to give municipalities different options based upon how funded their pension systems are. So if it's between like 90 and 100 percent funded, they don't have to do anything. If it's between 50 and um, 90 percent, they have to alter their pension 
um, plan um, either to a cash balance plan or a defined, bene- defined contribution plan, mm-hmm. something like that. And then if they're below that, then they actually have to turn over management of their pension to a little-known state agency called the Pennsylvania Municipal Retirement Fund or System, system. PMRS. So, um, and they will have to be managed there. There's also a number of reforms like taking away the ability for these pensions to be collectively bargained. Yeah. Um, eliminating things like uh, the drop option, which is the deferred retirement option plan. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's so a big old complicated issue, yeah, and but we're going to keep important. that in because it's important. Yeah. And so just listen through that a couple of times. And, and I get really excited about it. <laughs> I'm not able to tell. I've been following this issue for a long time. Well, and that's actually good. So, like, uh, there are people in the, legislat- in the legislature, in the Capitol, reporters like Jason who have been following this issue. So if you find yourself over your head on it, mm-hmm. go back and read what he's written. It's actually – it's very instructive. Yeah. Um, one more thing I want to get to. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that's going to be on the radar. The budget's coming up. We, we will talk about that in greater depth in yeah. a, a subsequent podcast. February but, uh, 6th, mark your calendars. February 6th. <laughs> so exciting. Um, uh, size of the legislature. The House seems yes. like it's really serious, possibly. I don't want to, like, put words in their mouths. But, like, it, they seem relatively committed this time to reducing this, their own size. Now, this is something that's come up a lot. Right. But, so this is a constitutional amendment. Yes. Um, it needs to pass in two consecutive legislative sessions. It passed last session. Yep. It just needs to pass this session, and they're hoping to have it actually out to voters by the end of this year. So for the November general election, possibly by the time you the next census rolls around, you will have a general assembly that is 50 members fewer. Yeah. So the bill, House Bill 153, is sponsored by Representative Jerry Knowles. is scheduled for a vote in the House State Government Committee on Tuesday. Um, judging by history... It is expected to pass, but, you know, sometimes these constitutional amendments, when they start to become real, people, people, get scared. Yeah, people also get like, whoa, this is like, like, this is a real thing. Like last time it was all fun and games and it was good to have the debate, but this has been something that's been going on also for a number of legislative sessions. Yes. Sam Smith, who used to be the former Speaker of the House, had a bill that tried to do this. Uh, one actually got really close to getting across the finish line of the governor's desk in the Corbett administration. But um, I remember Senate President Pro Tem Joe Scarnati introduced an amendment that kind of sunk it that would have shrunk the size of all the Pennsylvania's appellate courts and eliminated the office of lieutenant governor. And But the Senate that, was involved in that one, right? Right. The Senate, the, Senate the Senate was being reduced in that one as well. And the main argument against this is that this makes legislative districts too large, reduces the ability for legislators to have sort of more of an individual one-on-one focus on their constituents' needs. And some of these districts already – uh, in the House, some of them are, are a few counties. In the Senate, like take just Senator Scarnati's district, already has like s- like seven or eight counties in it. Like because you know, there are can, there are areas of Pennsylvania that are you know broad and sweeping and have no people in them. Right. So that's kind of what Scarnati's dealing with, where it's right. just a lot of space and not that many humans. Right. It's not like someone like Anthony Williams' district that you know might be like a couple dozen city blocks. Yeah. I mean, here you're talking about. You know, a couple dozen municipalities, you know, you're, yeah, I mean, it takes, you know, four hours to drive from one end of the district to the other and stuff like that, so. Yeah, and so that's always a concern, but I mean, I think there's been talk for a long time that, well, first of all, Pennsylvania has the biggest full-time legislature in the country, Mm -hmm. Um, so we're already outliers, Um, and also, I mean, you know, Pennsylvania has changed, and our districts, while they do change, obviously, we have to redistrict them every 10 years, you know, people say that the... This, the representation in this state is skewed towards the rural areas. They still have lots of lots and lots of representatives right. and not as many people as they once did. So, uh, you know, I think this is going to be something that a lot of people are going to look at and be like, finally. 
Yeah, and, and there's always, you know, look, nobody likes legislative bodies just by their nature, right? <laughs> so, I mean, there's always been talk like, why do we need 203? How yeah. did that number get, a, you know, how was that number arrived at? Yeah. Um, you know, why do we need to have such a large legislature? And so this is also one of those things where it's it's also has optics to it, too. Yeah, and it's, it's a political move. Right. And so you never see a legislature trying to eliminate 50 of its own positions. And, <laughs> you know, so you have that happening as well. Right. Well, uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to have a ton to talk about, especially when the budget uh, comes out. And, you know, we see what these guys are trying to do when they get back. Um, yeah. Because you never know. Stuff always comes up. It, it does, but... You know, by all indications, it, it looks like we might have a summer this year. Oh, so <laughs> we haven't had one. In I don't so know. Long. It's still January, so it's not get too <laughs> yeah, optimistic. Yeah, so I, just for the, I mean, usually in an election year, people don't want to do crazy stuff with the budget. So well, they don't want to look incompetent. No, they don't. Or dysfunctional. But if anybody has a memory, they can think back to this year, yeah. last year, when we had a budget. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think that'll do it for today. Uh, Jason, as always, thanks so much. Thank you, Katie. All right. We'll be back next week. <laughs>